May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So thanks for uh, having me here at Prince of Peace. I haven't been here before. Um, Pastor Natalia uh, said she was my student. That's true. Uh, I was her preaching lab professor. And uh, I don't think I probably have to tell you that she really is a fine preacher. And I'm sure she's only improved over the years since she was at Luther Seminary. Um, I teach at Luther Seminary over in St. Paul, and uh, I teach Old Testament. So when Pastor Natalia uh, asked me to preach, she said I could choose whatever biblical text I wanted. Um, And I usually try to preach from the Old Testament just because a lot of preachers don't. Uh, And I I don't know how, I'm sure that's not the case here. But um, I chose Psalm 126 um, in part because of the, the gardening image uh, imagery there. So how many of you have gardens or are gardeners? We have a few. All right. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a gardener, but I'm not a master gardener. I should say. So I, uh, my husband and I, we get the seed catalogs in the mail during the winter, you know, and when the, when the uh, snow is on the ground and the land looks barren, uh, we're thumbing through the seed catalogs and our our, uh, our uh, ideals or our dreams are usually bigger than the, the final product. But uh, right now our garden is full of weeds, but it also has lots of um, harvesting to be done. And for some really ridiculous reason, I planted four zucchini plants, and I don't even like zucchini that much. <laughs> so, so I go out and I see these honking monsters of zucchini, and I put them in the compost pile before my husband can chide me for <laughs> He, he doesn't, he makes zucchini bread, so um, anyway, he's uh, better about it than I am. And we have, what's that? Oh, are we podcasting? All right, all right. Yes, he'll, he'll find out. Um, and we have 10 tomato plants, and I love tomatoes, but my husband and I are the only ones in our family who eat tomatoes. Our three kids don't like tomatoes for some strange reason. So uh, I'm always a little more over-enthusiastic than... I really should be in planting the garden. But uh, I need to take up canning is what I need to do, actually. But Psalm 126, it, it uses these images of, uh, of gardening, of really farming uh, at, the, at the end of the psalm. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. But the beginning, so that's the end of the psalm. The beginning of the psalm is really, uh, it's almost like an entirely different psalm. It's still beautiful, but it begins this way. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. So a little background might be helpful. Um, The psalmist here is probably referring to the return from exile in Babylon in the 6th century B.C., um, that return from exile was miraculous, uh, an unexpected, unlooked-for release from captivity and restoration back home. The Babylonians in 586 B.C. captured Jerusalem. They sacked the city. They burned the temple and the city to the ground, and they took uh, most of its inhabitants into uh, Babylon, into exile. And it was, uh, it is, it was the uh, cataclysmic event that really casts its shadow over the whole Old Testament, that uh, exile uh, destroyed the Babylonians, when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, which was built by beloved King Solomon himself. 
Probably uh, one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 137, uh, tells of the feelings of the exiles in Babylon. Uh, psalm 137, beautiful psalm, also says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the Another name for Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So at that psalm, you can hear the, the longing for home and the despair of the exiles. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They longed to return home. They grieved mightily over the loss of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Um, and then miraculously, after almost 50 years of captivity in Babylon, uh, the sorrow of the Judeans was lifted when Cyrus of Persia defeated Babylon and sent the Jews home to Israel, home to Jerusalem. Okay, enough of the Old Testament professor here. So it, it must indeed have seemed like a dream to those returning exiles when they, uh, when they were freed and allowed to return back to Jerusalem. Um, the younger generations which were born in Babylon had never even seen Jerusalem, but they knew it from the prayers and from the stories of their parents and grandparents. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, the psalmist says, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoice. So the joy of homecoming, the joy of freedom from captivity, the irrepressible laughter of recognizing God's unexpected and incomprehensible grace, uh, that's what Psalm 126 describes at the beginning. And that joy is... Uh, a witness to the nations. Uh, the, the nations say, the Lord their God has done great things for them. And the returned exiles say, the Lord has indeed done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And if that were all of Psalm 126, it would be enough, a, a kind of a thanksgiving, right, as, as the children's message talked about. It's a beautiful testimony to God's faithfulness and to the people's joy. But the psalm doesn't end there. Um, instead of kind of dwelling on that memory of redemption, the psalm turns to a prayer for help uh, in verse 4. It says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. Um, the refrain of the song uh, lifted up that verse, and I think that's exactly right because it's really the, the kind of key uh, verse of the psalm. psalm. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. It's as if the psalmist is saying, okay, Lord, you did this for us in the past. You know, you did this awesome, wonderful thing, and we're thankful for that. But now we need your help again. We need you to do what you did in the past already. Because the situation back in Jerusalem, honestly, was not that great for the returning exiles. The city was completely destroyed, as was the temple. And there were people living there who didn't want anything to change. And so it was really quite a lot of work and a lot of heartache to, uh, to restore the city and rebuild the temple. So the exiles did have reason to pray, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. The Negev, I realize you may not know that term, um, so <laughs> you have to take yourself out of uh, Minnesota in what is a pretty rainy summer. Uh, you have to take yourself out of the land of 10,000 lakes to Israel, which, is, which was then and is now still uh, semi-arid. Uh, parts uh, are, are desert, and the other parts are... Um, are uh, semi-arid. And the water courses uh, in the Negev, the Negev is the desert region that's south of Jerusalem. And in this region, 
there are many uh, dry riverbeds. They're called wadis uh, in, in uh, Hebrew and in uh, Arabic. Wadis are these kind of uh, these dry riverbeds uh, that crisscross the countryside like the ghosts of rivers pass. There's, in the summertime, really no hint of water in them. They're as dusty and brown as the land around them. But then in the winter, when the winter rains come and the spring rains, these dry riverbeds are suddenly filled with new fresh running water, and they become not just trickles or small streams, but really torrents of water refreshing the countryside and giving drink to animals and plants and people alike. And it's like a miracle every year when these dry riverbeds run with torrents of water, making the land green and renewing the face of the earth. So that's what the psalm, that's the image that the psalmist is praying for. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the like the wadis, like the, the dry riverbeds in the desert. Renew our dry lives and our thirsty spirits, O Lord, like torrents of fresh water in a desert land. And then that beautiful and poignant image of planting. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bearing the sheaves. And I never understood really why, why are you sowing with tears, right? Why are, uh, isn't, isn't sowing, isn't planting a time of hope? Why, why, are, you, why are they crying uh, as they're sowing uh, the seed? And I never really understood that until recently when um, uh, friends uh, from Africa talked about times of drought when you have to choose between feeding your children the, the wheat that you've saved for seed, uh, or you take that wheat away from, you know, out of your children's hungry mouths in order to plant it, uh, to, to hope for a, a more bountiful harvest, right? So they're sowing in tears because, because there's not enough, but they're sowing in hope that there will be enough uh, and that there will be a bountiful harvest. So the psalmist is a realist. He acknowledges the existence of grief and hard times and weeping, Nevertheless, he also knows that such does not have to be the case. He knows from his own lived experience and that of his people that joy is possible after grief and laughter is possible again after tears. And it's happened before. The Lord restored Zion. The Lord brought back the captives from Babylon. It can happen again. Those who sow in tears will reap the harvest with shouts of joy. The psalmist is living, uh, is writing in a time between memory of past redemption and hope for a new day. The psalmist lives in a time between memory and hope. A time between memory and hope. And isn't that where we live most of the time, between memory and hope? As the baptized and redeemed people of God in Christ, we all have memories of God's gracious activity in the past, both for us and for our ancestors. We hear of God's gracious activity, of God's redemption, every time we read scripture, every time we gather for worship and sing together. Living in that memory, we can say with the psalmist, the Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoice. And yet, the world is not as it should be. We are not as we should be. Death still has power over us, over us, power to break relationships and families, power to break hearts. Evil and sin still exist, still run rampant in our world, as we saw on the streets of Charlottesville this last weekend. 
Grief still has power to overwhelm us, and fear and hate and selfishness guide too many of our decisions and sometimes the decisions of our leaders. We live in a world that sometimes feels as dry and desolate as those ghosts of riverbeds in the Negev desert. And so even as we remember God's gracious activity in the past, we learn from the psalmist to pray, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Restore us like the watercourses in a desert land. Renew our lives and our spirits and our hearts. Renew the face of the earth. We live between memory and hope. But this is not a passive hope. This is not a passive kind of sitting in our easy chairs while we wait for God to set everything right kind of hope. We go out into the fields bearing seeds for sowing. We go out into the fields sometimes weeping, sometimes grieving over the power of death in our lives and in our world, but still we go out to whatever tasks God has given us to do in this world. We go out sowing seeds of hope and compassion and justice and faith. We plant those seeds in our children's hearts and minds. We plant those seeds of compassion and hope in a society that so desperately needs them. We go out to our teaching and our learning and our preaching and our praying. We go out to care for others in whatever way God has given us, by being good parents and spouses, by being compassionate nurses and doctors, by being builders and caretakers and students and teachers and lawyers and social workers and grandparents and citizens. We go out to the fields to do whatever it is that God has given us to do in this world, and we have faith with the psalmist that God will multiply the harvest, that we shall reap the harvest with shouts of joy. Like the writer of Psalm 126, like people of faith in every age, we live between memory and hope. And this is not a bad place in which to live because the memory feeds the hope. The memory of God's past redemption helps assure us of God's future redemption. We know that God is faithful. We know that the same God who freed the Judeans from Babylonian captivity also, and even more miraculously, freed the whole world from the captivity of sin and death in the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has done great things for us indeed. And we know that that same God will continue even now to work life and salvation in us and in the whole world. This God who calls us to life and invites us into God's mission to save and bless the whole world will never leave us nor forsake us. We live between memory and hope. The memory of God's gracious activity in the past and the hope of Easter joy. Hear the words of the psalmist then as a sign and seal of that hope. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying the sheaves. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord is doing great things for us and in us, and we rejoice. Amen. Come home with jubilation Carrying your portion Restore our wealth
as you do in the dry. 